There is an indefinable, mysterious power that pervades everything. I feel it, though I do not see it. Almighty God has only sent one religion, but He has sent many messengers. When He sent messengers who got messages, by the passage of time, the message got changed. With mass especially, God against. The simplistic reductionism, which sees only good or evil, or if you will, the righteous and sinners. We begin with a story coming out of China that Beijing clearly doesn't want out there. The story is the alleged mass incarceration of Uyghurs and other Turkic Muslim minorities, more than a million of them, in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. What the international media call internment camps, forced indoctrination, the Chinese media describe as political education centers, counter-extremism training schools. Satellite images prove Chinese government has built uh, hundreds, if not more, of detention camps, and all they're also expanding, and hundreds of thousands of people are there just for being Uyghur, being Turkic, and being Muslim, not because they have committed any acts of violence or terrorism. We were able to draw the conclusion that uh, the individuals from the Hindu community uh, were killed in a brutal attack by a Rohingya armed group known as Arsa. The shooting was the latest in a wave of attacks against Egypt's Christian minority, which makes up about 10% of the country's population. Since the crackdown, more than 50 churches have been burned or looted. When identifying a problem, you need to call it by its name. The problem that sources all horrors grown out of religious difference is called exclusivism. Discrimination, warfare, and genocide have all been carried out in the name of God or heaven and are often used by atheists to cite a problematic theme of religion as a whole. However, saying that religion is the cause of the problems of religion is about as adequate as your mechanic telling you that the problem with your car is that it's a car. Further analysis will reveal that the aforementioned large-scale problems of religion occur as a result of religious difference. This is not to be mistaken for meaning different religions, which is partially true, but difference within religions as well, which is responsible for sectarian violence. Even so, while religious difference is a more concise proposed cause than religion in its entirety, it is still not enough to tell the full story. Different religions and religious sects exist completely at peace in many religions of the world. Baptist and Methodist churches reside on the same street in Mississippi, while Krishnites and Vajnavites attend the same festivals in Delhi. The root cause of the most atrocious problems resulting from religion is not religious difference alone, but the perspective that derives intolerance of different religious views, which is called religious exclusivism. I mean, if you take the most prevalent religions, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, in all of these religions, there is something like God. So one way to think about it, I suppose, is that these different religions are all in contact with the same being, but they differ with respect to some of God's properties or some of the things God has done. But I guess I would add to that that these approaches can't all be right. Where they're inconsistent, then uh, some of them are wrong. And I guess as a Christian, I'd have to say beliefs that are in conflict with Christian belief are mistaken. That was philosopher and theologian Alfred Plantinga advocating that there must be a wrong religion 
and it is not Christianity, exemplifying the exclusivist perspective. This is the Highlander perspective, that there can be only one correct religion. Planting it allows that this is only in the areas where details diverge, where some exclusivists see only in full that their religion is 100% right and others are 100% wrong. Both views are considered exclusivist, they only vary in degree. An example of this between religions would be one where Buddhists denounce Hindus, or vice versa. This notion that one's own religion is correct also applies to sects of the same religion, which can be based on the difference of belief or practice. The most notorious example being the rift between Sunni and Shia Muslims. Interestingly, exclusivism can also apply to the same religion but over the course of time as it evolves and changes its beliefs. For example, some early Christians were polytheistic, a belief that has all but vanished in strictly Christian belief systems these days. Bart Ehrman, a modern theologian, commented on this phenomenon by stating the orthodoxy of one age can become the heresy of the next. Essentially, the thought that any belief in religion other than your own is incorrect can be considered exclusivist. It's not hard to see how this perspective is problematic, or how it leads to strife, unrest, and death in defense and propagation of one's own true religion. This could result from one exclusivist religion aggressively trying to wipe out or gain dominance over another, like the Romans stamping out any belief system that didn't match up with the Roman religious flavor of the week, but could also lead to violence merely through resistance of those trying to force their religion upon you. There is a strong intellectual argument against this perspective, which we will delve into in a later episode. First, though, let's further discuss exclusivism as it pertains to this project. When I left the United States, I left with a clear research goal in mind. I would visit as many holy sites, religious centers, and places of worship as possible to find out how the people there viewed religions other than their own. I wanted to examine the thoughts of religious difference in these locations from the vantage point of the religious leaders themselves. While I reside in New York City, which affords a religious student access to the domestic equivalents of nearly all of these religious leaders I met with, I felt that going to these significant locations would add to the value of the testimony for multiple reasons. One reason was to harden the findings against logical fallacy. A common argument levied against any religious person from within their own religion is the no true Scotsman fallacy essentially stating that the person's beliefs do not align with what I know to be my religion. Therefore, they aren't actually Christian, Buddhist, Shinto, etc. Here is the 14th Dalai Lama himself sharing this logical fallacy. Some my Islam friend told me, if you are a genuine Islam follower, should not create bloodshed on anyone. Anyone who created bloodshed, actually, he or she not genuine Islam. Now, I believe the Dalai Lama's heart was in the right place here, but he's using a logical fallacy all the same. This logical fallacy is easily combated with an exploration of the source of beliefs, which is usually the text, but I felt the significance of geographical location added to legitimacy. It's really hard to make the no true Scotsman fallacy stick in general, Especially when the person you're claiming doesn't actually believe in a certain religion, spends every day at or in close proximity to a significant holy site, and lives their life by the context of the fundamental religious texts. Granted, there could be many atheists at a holy site, and the most pious person on earth living in Las Vegas, but the significance still remains. 
Another reason was that most of these locations have existed much longer than New York, and they have dealt with religious difference for millennia in very different ways. For this reason, the perspectives on religious difference aren't like those in the United States, which has always been a Judeo-Christian nation. Specifically, India has a long history of different religions coming and going into favor and power, and consequently a history of both religious violence and peaceful coexistence. Though religion has led to war, massive relocations, and genocide in India's recent history, the current state within the majority of India is one of peaceful religious difference. Rome, Israel, China, Japan, Nepal, all of these places have all dealt with the problem of religious difference for thousands of years, and the current perspectives in each of these locations were worth examining. In pursuit of positive interreligious perspectives, I didn't encounter any exclusivist stances directly, and I was pleasantly surprised to find that not a single person I encountered on this trip expressed this type of attitude. For the vast majority of my life, the exclusivist attitude was the only one I'd ever really heard, and should be familiar to everyone who hears this podcast. It's the only viewpoint that leads to building up walls between people who hold very similar core beliefs. It has also led to more suffering, conflict, violence, and death than few other things in human history save conflict over resources, culture, or influence. This is the driving force behind exploring conversations about religion. As much as I agree that being neighborly is a great way to live your life, it ranks pretty low on my list of pressing issues. Violence and suffering caused by different perspectives, however, is a problem that strikes every day in the United States and around the world. Religious exclusivism is only one of the forms of exclusivism that leads to this. Ultimately, the ability to explore your own religion and others through different perspectives will make you more informed and hopefully less adherent to an us-first-them mentality. This is why, as we will see in the next few episodes, the people I encounter don't view each other with more or less regard based on their religion. While this is true of every single religious person I interviewed, this is not true for the nation of India as a whole. I was able to visit the border between Pakistan and India in Punjab province, known as the Waga border. This borderline in itself is a living monument to the exclusivist perspectives. This border was created in 1947 when Pakistan was founded. This came to pass in part as a realization of the All India Muslim League's efforts to liberate the Muslim populations from underrepresentation and oppression beneath a Hindu majority government during the tumultuous end of the British reign in India. Pakistan was meant to be the Salvific Muslim nation as a fix to the problem of religious difference arising in India. In the process of forming these nations and attempting to resolve the seemingly unresolvable problem of religious difference, 20 million Hindus west of this border and 18 million Muslims east of this border were forced to migrate to their religiously respected nations. In this process of what would later become known as the partition of India, 500,000 people would die and countless others would suffer. This was a direct result of the problems of religious difference, which are a direct result of exclusivist perspectives. To understand why, one must understand the alternatives. Exclusivist perspectives are inherently intolerant to some degree, whether it is intolerance of validity or intolerance to the extreme of discrimination and genocide. Examples of both of these and everything in between riddle India's history. The alternative to intolerance is tolerance, and at its most extreme, peaceful coexistence. If this perspective of tolerance were the dominant perspective, or at least the dominant perspective of those with religious and political influence, then the civil unrest that developed secondary to the problems of religious difference would have never developed at all. Since 1959, the Waga border that I was fortunate enough to visit has served as a ritualistic representation of the tolerance and the brotherhood that failed to overcome the problems that led to the partition in the first place. 
Each day, soldiers from the Pakistani and Indian sides of the border open the gate that separates them to ceremoniously display their military might and also to shake hands. As with nearly every aspect of the problems that arise between people, complexity prevents me from saying that only exclusivist perspectives drove this partition. There were definitely geopolitical and cultural factors involved in this situation, as with most of the other examples of religious differences' worst offenders. I theorize, though, that if in each of these cases you could replace the religious intolerance with tolerance, rather, the contributing factors would not have been powerful enough to cause the same extreme result. Though exclusivism in itself does not need to be extreme to be problematic, the extreme end of the spectrum is responsible for some of the most notorious accounts of massive human suffering in history. From the Babylonians exiling the Jews from Jerusalem in the 6th century BC, to the Mughal genocide of tens of millions of Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, and Jainists in the 8th century AD, to the victims of radical Islamists on September 11, 2001, to the current persecution of Muslims in China by the millions in 2018. The examples proposed are used to emphasize the most severe consequences of this problem, but the problems resulting from exclusivism take place on a much smaller scale all the time. When you ask this question that is it possible that all, all these religious people are right at the same time, the answer is yes and no, right? And the no only comes when you try to, when I as a Sikh try to tell you as a Christian that no, as a Sikh I am right and as a Christian you are wrong. That is where the problem happens. This is Tarandeep Singh, a Sikh priest who I met in the Sikh capital of Amritsar in Punjab, India, about an hour away from the Wagha border. Tarandeep is identifying that the problem that stands in the way of peaceful religious coexistence is the exclusivist perspective. If a religion teaches, or religious thought teaches that you are the only one who deserves to live, yeah. and the other one deserves to die, or die. another yeah. one needs to come under your umbrella to yeah. say that, you know, only then I can pass through, yeah. that is a problem that no one can solve in my opinion. While I agreed with most of what Tarandeep had to say, I disagreed with this aspect that those who hold exclusivist perspectives are beyond change. Change is a real possibility that should absolutely be pursued, especially given the extreme consequences of not changing. However, it takes understanding of the cause and effect of exclusivism to know why one should. And more importantly, it takes an understanding of the alternative perspectives available to know how one can change. The belief in providing a road towards change and my personal aversion of the results of exclusivism on its most minute incidents to its grandest scale are what lead me to promote the perspectives we will explore in the next two episodes. Thank you very much for listening.